Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into the ship and sat in the sea. The whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he, Jesus, taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine or in his teaching, hearken, pay attention, listen to this. Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass as he sowed, some fell by the wayside or the highway side, and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. And some fell on stony ground, where had not much earth. Immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, because it had no root. It withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it or crowded it out, and it yielded no fruit. Another fell on good ground and did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said unto them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. That's one of the reasons why we do in our faith confession, I take ears to hear, because it's very important. One of the things Jesus says later in Mark chapter 4, that those who have ears to hear and use those ears to hear, they will hear more. But those who do not hear, they will lose what they've even heard in the past. And so it's important to have ears to hear. So let's say it again. Say, I have ears to hear. That's a good thing to put in the chat online, put that you have ears to hear. And I really want you to have ears to hear today so that you can see yourself in this parable. As you see yourself in the story of Mark chapter 4 and Mark chapter 5. Because we're not just reading something that happened 2,000 years ago. Oh, that was nice. But no, this is relevant to our everyday life. And then it says, when he, Jesus, was alone, they that were about him with the 12 asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time, so it's up to them, they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven. Notice something important. Jesus with the crowd is teaching this message. And people have left, oh, that's a great message, but they didn't get it. But later on, when Jesus was with this different group, now it's not people think, oh, it's the apostles, it's Peter, James, and John. No, it says them who were with the twelve. So there wasn't just those 12. There were more people. Luke chapter 8 gives you some of those names. And it says, unto this group of people, the 12 and all those who were with them, unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, to know the divine secrets, plans, and purposes. Well, I don't know about you. If the crowd couldn't get it, but this group can't, I want to be part of that group. I want to know why did this group get the understanding and the crowd just got a parable. Because if Jesus is going to talk to me, I want to get it. I don't say, man, that was a nice message Jesus preached. What did he say? I don't know, but it was nice. Oh, that was a nice message Jesus preached. What did he say? I don't know, but I felt something. No, I want to get what Jesus had to say. Anybody else want to get what Jesus had to say? And so he said, unto you it is given. When he studied out this group more in Luke chapter 8, you see these people that went with Jesus, they were committed to Jesus and his mission. They were committed to Jesus and his ministry. You'll see these group, there's actually a number of wealthy women among this group who they traveled expressly with this team to give. 
to fund the ministry of Jesus. Now, we know Jesus had a treasure. The Gospel of John says Judas was the treasurer, and he was a thief, and he stole from the treasury all the time. That's what the Gospel of John tells us. But you see with the apostles, in addition to those who are called to preach, you see business people who are traveling with Jesus and the apostles for the express purpose of supporting the mission. They had committed themselves through their service and their finances to what Jesus was doing in the earth. And so now, when Jesus is done talking to the crowd, they get the same insight as the apostles. Think about it. It'll be great. It's like, man, think about the insight that John got. Think about the insight that Peter got. Oh, man, what did James get? It wasn't just what was going to those three and those 12. All that group that committed themselves to the mission and ministry of Jesus got the same insight and they had the access to ask questions because it wasn't one of the 12 who asked the questions one of those group hey Jesus what was that about and then Jesus says in verse 13 know you not this parable how then we know all parables so this parable is the key to understanding all parables especially the ones he's about to list in Mark chapter 4 so he begins to break it down he says the sower sows the word what is this parable chiefly about? The word of God. The sower sows the word. There are multiple different types of sowers in scripture. We know God is a sower. Jesus is a sower. Preachers are sower. People are sowers. We'll find out later the enemy is a sower. And so there's different ways things can be sown, but the parable is talking about sowing the word. And these are they by the wayside or by the side of the highway where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the soil of this parable is the heart. Say the soil of this parable is the heart. So when you drive down 285, how many know the side of 285 is not the best place to plant an orchard? It's not the place to farm. How many of you want to eat peaches that were planted right by the side of 285? No. That is not the place where you want to grow produce, right? And so Jesus comparing some people's hearts to the soil that's by the side of a highway. And he says, the word was sown. So the word went out. So notice he's not talking to people who've never heard the word. He's talking to people who've either come to church or come to a place where they can hear the word of God. They've heard the word. But notice what it said. They heard and Satan came immediately. Who did it? Who did it? See, because we have a bad habit in our culture of blaming God for stuff Satan did. Satan came immediately and took away the word that was sown into the hearts. So the word was sown because they heard it, but Satan took it away immediately. Why? The condition of their hearts. Satan always comes for the word. So he's like, man, it seemed like right after church something happened. Yeah, he's coming for the word. Don't be shocked when something happens. I don't know why Christians are always shocked when the enemy does something. You have an enemy. Hello. He's coming for the word because the word has power to do something. The word has power to shut him down. So if he can get the word before you, you act on it, he's going to take it. Remember, he's a thief. He's coming for it. Remember, John 10.10 10 called the enemy a thief, and that word in the Greek means a pickpocket. 
Satan's not breaking in your house to steal the word. He's going to steal the word from you through the art of distraction. So if you're distracted from what God has called you to do, Satan is stealing from you. If you are offended, Satan is stealing from you. If you just mad at everybody, think everybody is crazy but you, Satan is stealing from you. Notice this next group of people. And these are they like which were sown on stony ground, who when they heard the word, immediately they receive it with gladness. Notice the first difference. They receive the word. Just because you heard the word doesn't mean you received the word. The word receive means to take it. It means to claim it. So whatever the word was being preached about, they took it. They said, yeah, that's mine. That applies to me. So what happened with the first group? They heard the words of the yeah, that ain't for me. They heard the words, ah, no, nah, that don't apply to 2021. They heard the words, like, ah, I don't know about that stuff. And so Satan was able to immediately come and take the word, the word that has the power to change life, the almighty word of God, where one word can change your life forever. Satan was able to take it, and it was no change in their life. But this group, they took it. They claimed it. They said, yeah, that's for me. Man, that's mine. That's about me. That's about me. I take that word. But notice, they didn't just take the word. They took it with gladness, with a smile, with praise, with a shout. Notice the two different groups, right? And notice what it said in the parable. It says, immediately it sprang up. So if you want immediate production of the word of God for your life, you need to take it. You need to claim it. Come on, you need to smile about it. You need to rejoice. You need to believe it. Dad Hagen used to say it this way. The word you want to work for you is the word you get excited about. You get excited about the word, it'll work for you. This group got excited about the word. And the word began to produce immediately. And it said there was fruit, but it began to grow immediately. It began to work immediately. So think about it. As soon as they left church, before they left church, the word was working for them. Which means the words you hear today can work for you before you end this broadcast, before you walk out of these doors. The words you hear today can work for you if you work the word. We work every other system. How about we work the word of God? And have no root in themselves. The problem of this group. No root. Remember, a stony ground. So they didn't cultivate the ground of their heart. So it was shallow. They didn't allow the word to go down deep. It says, afterward, when affliction or persecution arises for the what's sake? Word's sake. So why did affliction and persecution come? Because these people had received the word. What is affliction? It is pressure brought by circumstance. Affliction is pressure brought by circumstance. What is persecution? Pressure brought by people. So what happened? Pressure showed up. And Jesus told us, in this world, you will have pressure. So why do we get shocked when pressure shows up? Jesus, hey, you're going to have pressure. We're being good cheer. I've overcome the world. You've overcome it too. So pressure showed up because the word was sown. So who brings the pressure? God, no. Who's trying to steal the word? Satan. So the trial did not come to make you strong. The trial came to take you out. 
So stop glorifying the trial. You say, well, I went through some trials in my life and I came out stronger. The trial did not make you strong. It was the words you held on to during the trial that made you strong. Stop glorifying the grind and glorify the God who saw you through. And so the pressure came. And Jesus compared to the pressure as the heat of the scorching sun. And here's another definition of the word receive. It means to catch it. They caught it. Come on. If a basketball is past you, you need to catch it. I know you can lose games because of turnovers. One turnover can cost you the game. Several turnovers. Man, how many believers are losing in life because of turnovers? Where they catch the word on Sunday, but they let it go on Monday. The pressure came and they dropped the ball. The pressure came and they dropped the word. And going back to the example of Jesus, the scorching of the sun, it scorched the production of the word. Just because a plant is scorched doesn't mean the roots are dead, but what you can see has been scorched. Why did a pressure come to take away the production of the word? But notice what Jesus said about this group next. The people who heard the word, who took the word, who received it with gladness, immediately they are offended. So after they endured for a while, the pressure came. They are offended immediately. The word offense, to be offended, means to be enticed to sin. It's also defined as to be led away, to begin to distrust the one you ought to trust. So the pressure came. They dropped the ball, and they stopped trusting God. The pressure came. They stopped believing what they claimed. They stopped believing what they named. They stopped believing what the word of God said. And they're offended. And it's like, you know what? Maybe that faith stuff don't work. Maybe God will bless that person, but not me. They may have made a new philosophy, a new theology, but they dropped the word. And the production of the word they had seen was scorched. See, spiritual growth is not linear. Just because you've been saved 30 years doesn't mean you're a mature Christian. So we've all seen it before, especially if you've been around long enough. Super saint. Come on. They preached, prophesied, and laid hands on everything that moved. Come on. Doesn't matter what walked by, they received a testimony. And this person had signs and wonders in their life. They had breakthrough. They had abundance. They had prosperity. It's like, man, that is a strong believer. A couple years go by. You see them again. Oh, how you doing, super saint? Well, I don't know if I believe anymore. Whoa, 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 whoa. What happened to this person who had some production of the word in their life, who looked like they were super saved, on fire, forgot what happened? Pressure. And when the pressure was applied to that point, they dropped the word, and the word production they have was scorched. So now their life looks like they never received the word of God in the first place. But they were saved. They are the main ones shouting and dancing. 
They're the main one bringing the people to church. How do, do they look like they ain't even saved now? They dropped the ball. They let go of the word. See, it doesn't matter how long you hold on to the word if you drop it. doesn't matter how long you hold on to the ball if you still turn it over. They dropped it. And now their life looks like they never received the word in the first place. How many Christians and believers will you look at their lives? Looks like they never heard the word in the first place. And people say, oh, they should have been taught better. They can be taught by the best teacher in the world. Surrounded with every prayer warrior in the world. And their life can look like they never heard the gospel in the first place. Because they didn't hold it themselves. And sadly, if they don't catch the word, they'll catch a deception. They'll drop the word and they believe something else crazy. And like, what, 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 wait a minute, you, you're the one who taught me the scriptures and now you don't even believe this? What? Pressure came. They dropped the word and grabbed onto something else. Could be something they created. Could be whatever the new slick lie Satan's throwing out there. But they grabbed onto something. Look at this next group. And these are they which are sown among the thorns, such as hear the word. So these are people who heard it. And by implication, we get to the next verse, they received it. They've had growth of the word. So the pressure couldn't kill the word in their life. That's pretty good. Come on, this group's doing pretty good. And I submit to you, a whole lot of the church is in this next group right here. A whole lot of the church. Because it says, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lust of other things enter in and choke or crowd out the word, it becomes unfruitful. Jesus calls it thorns. When you look at this word thorns, these are weeds. Come on, even in the best garden, there are still weeds. And how many know if you don't deal with those weeds, it's going to affect the health of your garden. And sometimes you don't know how that weed got there, but it's there. See, I was doing some work in my yard this week, and I was pulling out some weeds. and like, where did this thing come from? You know, I have an app that tells me what the plants are. And I'm like, where in the world did this come from? I remember a couple years ago I was doing some work, and someone who was helping me said, yeah, this is a farm weed. I said, I don't live near a farm. I don't live on a farm. Where did this thing show up? Because this thing was, it was taller than me. So you may not always know how the weeds got there, but it's still your job to deal with it. It could have been sown into you while you're growing up. You just see the weed now. It could have been sown into you by well-meaning people. Sold in by the enemy. However it got in, it is your job to deal with your heart. Stop blaming people. Well, my heart's this way because of this person and that person, these people, this government, this party. Stop it. It is your job to cultivate your own heart. And parents, it's our job until our kids are grown to guard their hearts so that other stuff is not sewn in because we were neglectful. That's why they don't watch everything on TV. Well, my friends watch it. You ain't your friends. Just because it's on TV, on YouTube, on Disney+, Plus, on whatever, doesn't mean you is going to watch it. Come on, that means even though the show may annoy you, you may not like the theme song, you need to listen and watch what your kids watch and understand what they're watching. 
and know when to flip. Oh, no, we have another show we're going to watch. We ain't watching that no more. No. You got to watch out what's sown into our kids' hearts. Just like you had to watch into what's sown into your heart. So look at these three weeds. Cares of this world. The word care means anxiety. It's worry presented through the idea of distraction. Cares, worry, and anxiety. And this attack of the enemy is so normal, so prevalent as part of everybody's everyday life. If they didn't have some care and anxiety before the pandemic, they got some now. And if they struggle with worry and anxiety before the pandemic, it is full-blown now. And if they were dealing with anxiety attacks before the pandemic, now they're gripped in this panic. Notice who it comes from. Jesus does not give you anxiety to teach you something. Stop blaming my Jesus for the drama in your life. It comes from the enemy. It's a seed. Because it starts as a full-blown read, it starts as seeds. And deceitfulness of riches. It's like, well, saying that money's bad? No. Deceitfulness of riches. Believing lies about money. Well, what are lies about money? Well, all money is evil. That is a lie about money. Well, the Bible says so. No, it doesn't. It says the love of money is the root of all evil. The word love of money comes from a Greek word, which means extreme avarice or extreme greed. So extreme greed is the root of all evil, not money. If you believe money is going to fix all your problems, you believe a lie about money. So it's being deceived by money. Then the other one, lust or desires of other things. I think we'll get into that more next week. Because not every desire is bad, but some desires are distractions. That God has told you to go this way. And when the pressure comes, you don't know if you want to go this way, but you see another option. You see another path, and that path is not necessarily evil or bad. It's not, it's not the path you're supposed to walk on. How many times have we stopped going forward with God because we thought about how life used to be? And we remember, oh, man, life was good when we did that. Life was good then. And you stop moving forward, and before you know it, you've turned around and started going backwards. Not because of what you used to do may not have been wrong. It's just where you were then. And it's not where you're called to be today. You have to watch what desires you're allowed to build in your mind and in your heart. They can entrap you. But I want you to notice something. The word has grown in this heart, right? It didn't say the word plant was gone. The word plant is there, right? But so are the weeds. So there's the word. There's anxiety. There's being deceived by money. And there's lust and desires of other things, all in the same sanctified, Holy Ghost-filled heart. I submit to you, a whole bunch of believers are in this category right here. Because notice what it says. They enter and they choke or they crowd out the word. And it becomes unfruitful. I like using this example that have you ever, how many of you ever played musical chairs? And it's not always the fastest person who wins but it's the person that knows how to, because they could be seated first. But if you got enough behind you and you know how to move, they could be on the floor and you're in the seat. You see, the job of the weeds is to booty bump the word off the throne. So while it's still in your heart, it just doesn't have the first place. 
And so the thing is, you may not notice it doesn't have the first place because you still got the word working. It's still growing, but there's no fruit. There's a whole bunch of people who come to church and have the word grown, but have no fruit. They're going to heaven. I'm not saying they're going to hell. But the word is not working for them like the way they want it to. Because of the weeds that is in their heart. We'll talk more about that later this week on Faith in the Morning. And so then, these are they which are sown on good ground. Say, I'm good ground. Come on, some of you may just need to say it by faith because you already feel convicted. Say, I'm good ground. Go ahead, put it in the chat. Say, I'm good ground. These are they which hear the word, receive it, and bring forth fruit. Some 30-fold, some 60, and some 100. So Jesus goes on and shares a few more parables. One parable he shares is about how the whole kingdom of God works on seed time and harvest. And he keeps going. Let's jump down to verse 34 for the sake of time. But without a parable spake he not unto them. And when they were alone, he expounded all things to his disciples. And the same day, when the evening or the evening was come, he said unto them, let us go over onto the other side. So Jesus spent all day preaching, right? And then after he finished preaching, he explained to his crew what he was talking about. So now it's evening time. So let's get on the boat and go to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship, and there were also other little ships with him. And there arose a great storm of wind. And because a lot of us know the story, how many of you know the story? We kind of just kind of read it through. Come on, he's going to go through the storm, and this is going to happen. Let's pause for a second. Let's read through it. There arose. That word arose means it came out of nowhere. Remember, four of the apostles at least are professional Professional fishermen, they know the Sea of Galilee like the back of their hand. If there was a storm coming, they wouldn't have gone that route. They have gone another way. How many can see that? So this storm has caught them off guard. It came suddenly. It's not like you saw some clouds on the horizon. Oh, we may be heading to the storm. Let's turn a different way. It happened all of a sudden, caught them all off guard. And it's a great storm. So it's not like a little storm, a little turbulence. It's a great storm. Megas, this is huge. Storm of wind. It's very specific. Wind. This is hurricane force winds. This is a cyclone. One of the other gospels, the translation says that it came down suddenly. Now notice what it said. It didn't say there was rain, did it? No. No thunder or lightning. This is a great storm of wind that came out from nowhere. It is an invisible storm. You would have been really freaked out if a storm just showed up out of nowhere, a hurricane. But imagine being in an ancient boat and an invisible hurricane shows up out of nowhere. Has anyone ever had that happen in their life? Everything seems to be going good, smooth sailing, and all of a sudden, an invisible storm shows up out of nowhere. You didn't see it coming. You weren't expecting it. But all of a sudden, you're thrown into this circumstance, this pressure-filled circumstance, also called affliction. Notice what says next. And the waves began to beat into the ship. This word for the Greek for beat is talking about, it's like an invisible hand was picking up the waves and hitting the ship. Again 
and again and again. Now, because we know the end of the story, we know the enemies behind it. And some of you are going through storms right now and you've personalized it too much. You began to say, no one knows what I'm going through. No one's ever been anything through like this. No one else went through the pandemic. Only I went through the pandemic. It was just me. No one else knows what I'm facing. No one else has to deal with this in their marriage or with their kids, or with their grandkids, with their money, with their job in this city. No one else knows. And I submit to you, the storm is not always about you. The storm was sent to stop Jesus from getting to the other side and taking territory. Sometimes storms show up because of the progress you're making to your destiny. Sometimes storms show up because of what you're carrying. Sometimes storms show up because there's somebody on the other side of your obedience. So this storm showed up. This invisible storm. Hurricane force winds. Picking up the waves and dumping into the boat and hitting the boat. So the scripture says the boat was now full. Doesn't say that. That's what the scripture says, right? What happens when boats are full? They sink, right? But this boat did not sink. And I submit to you, could not sink. Why? Jesus said, let's go to the other side. And although the boat was full of water, it could not sink. And sometimes when you're in the middle of the storm, you don't realize you're missing a miracle already because a storm was sent to take you out. Your boat is full of water, but you're still going to the other side. There may be some turbulence. There may be some drama. There may be some this. There may be some that. But you're still going to the other side. And so while all this is going on, the boat is full of water, invisible storm sent by the enemy, the disciples go and wake Jesus up. Now, some of you are already dramatic. It's okay. I'm kind of dramatic too. I'm not, no judgment. I'm kind of dramatic too. My wife's watching online, so it's kind of, but okay. <laughs> kind of dramatic too. But even if you weren't dramatic, you would have been dramatic in this situation. Invisible storm, boat full of water. It says they ran to see Jesus who was knocked out on a pillow. And it's not even a large pillow, so it'll be knocked out this way. He's curled up, knocked out, almost in a fetal position, knocked out. And you know they didn't go, Jesus, wakey, wakey, rise and shine, give God the glory, glory. You know they ain't doing that. They are grabbing him, shaking him. Master, is that a term of authority? It's teacher, preacher. Well, I've heard that before. Preacher! Don't you care about us? We're all about to die. Hear them? Because you'd be doing the same thing. And notice that it said, we, all of us, you too, sleep on the pillow in the water. All of us, we're going down. And Jesus wakes up. And probably getting sleep out of his eyes, looking at them like, no problem. And I was just meditating on this yesterday, meditating on this passage. I had this example that popped into my mind, in my imagination. 
Because some of us would have picked up a bucket. Invisible storm. Boat full of water. Let's get the water out of the boat. Yes, there are ways putting more water in, but let's whoosh, 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 whoosh. But notice when Jesus woke up, he did not pick up a bucket. Did he? No. Some of you say, well, he said, peace be still. How many think that's the first thing he did? Let me see your hand. If you think he's the first thing he did said, peace be still. I was like, no, pastor set us up for something. I am. Because <laughs> look what the scripture said. It says he rebuked the wind. And then he said to the sea, peace be still. The source was the wind. He didn't address the circumstance. He went to the source. How many of us are picking up buckets when we should go to the source? And I'm telling you, God's battle strategy for your life is better than your bucket any day. So Jesus, it says, rebuked the wind, which means he restrained the wind. He opened his mouth and said something to the wind. So we see this pattern in scripture. It says, and God blessed them and said unto them, be fruitful and multiply. So be fruitful and multiply aren't the first thing mankind heard. The first thing they heard was the blessing or be blessed. So Jesus restrains the wind and looks at the waves and says, peace be still or hush. Calm down. That's enough of that. Calm that down. And immediately there was a great calm. Another translation says the sea was still as glass. Come on, you went from this great hurricane to nothing. Come on, peace. In the right after the storm. See, too many of us are focusing on the circumstances and not dealing with the source of the issue. That if you want that storm to calm down, you need to go what's stirring up the wind in the first place. And notice what Jesus said next. He looked at his disciples and said, why are you so full of fear? How is it that you had no faith? Imagine whoever that finger lands on, because Jesus is a pointed preacher. Come on, whoever was, you, why didn't you have faith? Now, why would Jesus say this? Why? Because he's not training his people to be afraid. Sadly, the church is full of fear, but he's not training his people to be afraid. The scripture says 365 times, fear not. You have no business fearing a virus. Now, I didn't say, now, protect yourself. No, just don't say, well, pass yourself. No, I did not say none of that. Protect yourself, be healthy, do all the natural things you're supposed to do. But you're not supposed to be afraid of it. Fear is an attack of the enemy. He's a spirit of fear. So he looked at his people and said, why are you so full of fear? How is it that you don't have any faith? Well, why do you expect them to have faith? Because the scripture says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And what did Jesus do all day? Preach and teach the word for hour after hour after hour. Then he explained it. 
They had faith. But the storm showed up. The affliction showed up. The pressure showed up. And instead of holding on to the word Jesus had just preached and taught them, they dropped it and began to panic. At least they knew where to turn. So that's some good. They didn't just jump out into the ocean. At least they knew to turn to Jesus. But notice what they said to Jesus. Don't you care? The third tactic of the enemy, the cares of this world, is worry, is anxiety. And so pressure came through a circumstance that pushed them in a place where they're now anxious and worried and afraid. So chapter 5, verse 1. We have to understand Satan sends storms. But you must address the source of the storm. And if you spend time with your strategist, the Holy Spirit, he'll tell you what to say and what to address and how to use your authority to bind and loose. And then he'll tell you what to say to the circumstances. Because you can talk to the circumstances all day long, but if you don't deal with the source, the circumstances will keep going. Chapter 5, verse 1. And they came over to the other side of the sea and to the country of the Gadarenes. And so when you study this out, this is not a Jewish area. It's a heavily Gentile area. It's a heavily pagan area. It's an area that's greatly influenced by the imperial cult. Rome has left its great imprint on this area. It's the region of Decapolis, the region of the League of Ten Cities. So he comes over into this area that's culturally different. Gets off the boat. Now imagine if you just went through a storm like that. Some of you might have jumped off the boat before the boat has even docked. Somebody is kissing the sand. Somebody's just so happy to be on dry land. And then the scripture says, immediately. Not that five minutes, not ten minutes. We didn't have time to grab some food. We, we didn't have our layover. Immediately. There met them running from the tombs a man with an unclean Spirit. The word unclean means impure or lewd in thought and life. So the definition gives you an understanding of how this demon grabbed hold of this man. It started with his thought life. And because he didn't check it as a thought, the enemy was able to grab him. Unclean or lewd. And the word lewd means vulgar. It means obscene. Especially in a crude or sexually immoral way. This is a sexual, immoral spirit. It's a lewd spirit. It is a vulgar spirit. And it is the chief spirit that is operating in that man and ruling the region. And when you study it out, look at this and the few other gospels that record this story, is that this man was possessed by many demons. This unclean spirit was the chief demon. And at times it would seize him, grab a hold of him, and take complete control. And then notice what the scripture says about him. He had his dwelling among the tombs, surrounded by death. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains. Because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. And the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. That means they tried. Society tried to tame him best doctors, 
best psychologists, the best psychiatrists, the jails, the soldiers, they tried, but they couldn't do it. Society's best attempts could not tame them nor control them. So eventually, just lock them up, chain them up, and he would break through the chains. And you study this out, the demons drove him to the tombs on a hillside. This man is a literal haunted house. And it says in the next verse, he would cry out through the day and through the night. From this man is yelling out unnatural, supernatural yells that has terrified the region. And it says in one of the gospels that he's fierce, which means this man is dangerous. So if you get too close to him, you can end up harmed or worse. So the whole region is scared of this man and avoids where he is. And here comes this man. Scripture says he is, he probably has remnants of chains on him because he's been chained and will break free. And scriptures tells you he is butt naked. The demons have driven away all sense of modesty from him. And then it says in the next verse that as he's crying out loud, day and night, he's cutting himself with stones. He's under such torment, he's mutilating himself. And here comes this man running at Jesus. Some of you have been like some of the disciples, I'm sure. All right, get back on the boat. The storm was better than this. Come on, Jesus. Boat. Come on, Peter, row. Let's go. But notice Jesus didn't move. Here comes this man, and he bows in worship at Jesus' feet. Even in his most demonic state, the man knew who could set him free. And one thing I'm glad that the apostles and disciples did not do, they did not get in this man's way. Too many times we get in the way of people who are trying to get to Jesus because they don't look churchy. They probably don't. They don't look safe. They're probably not. But if they're running to Jesus, don't get in the way. Push them forward. Come on. Go, go, go. Oh, they came to church. Their clothes weren't modest. Give them a lap cloth. Well, don't kick them out of church. They need Jesus, and so do you. And so he reaches Jesus, and when he reaches Jesus, when you look at the Luke chapter 8 and Matthew, it says the unclean spirit seizes him and takes full control. And notice what he says. What do I have to do with you, Jesus, you son of the most high God? I adjure you. This word adjure is a religious phrase. The demon got spirit. He got religious. I adjure you by God. Stop tormenting me. You'd be like, well, how is Jesus tormenting him? He just got out the boat. The next verse gives you the answer. For he said unto him, the Greek also means he kept saying, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. So while this man is charging at Jesus, Jesus is standing there and says, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. I said, come out. I said, come out. He's standing there fearless, using his authority and addressing the situation. I submit to you that a battle strategy from heaven is your consistency. 
a battle strategy from heaven is your consistency. It's not just doing what's right on Sunday, but it's doing what's right every day. He refused to be intimidated by the devil. See, that's why Paul tells us in Philippians chapter 1, don't be intimidated by your enemies because you refusing to be intimidated, you refusing to be afraid is a sign to your enemy that your enemy is going to be destroyed and you're going to be delivered and rescued by God. So he's standing there. What's another word for it? Resisting the enemy. And the scripture tells us when you resist the enemy, he will flee from you. He'll try to escape from your presence. Jesus resisting him. And the demon calls Jesus resistance, his fearlessness, his use of his authority, torment. He's holding on for as long as he can. And some of you haven't seen the enemy fled from you because you haven't held on that long. And the enemy's watched you long enough to know that, eh, you're going to resist a week. I can take that. Eh, he'll be faithful for a month. Eh, I can take that. The enemy knows he can outlast you. Because he'll know eventually he'll be distracted or let go of the word that you call. Jesus wasn't that way. He stood his ground. And then Jesus asked him, what is your now, this is not the strategy to cast out devils, so don't you go around and find demon-possessed people. Tell me your name. Don't do that. You're not supposed to be investigating demons on your own reality TV show on a Discovery Plus. No, stop. Why did Jesus say that? Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say. I only do what I see my father do. So in this instance, the father told him, ask him its name. And plus, because I know people like, like why you like to talk to demons, but some people do and have conversations and investigations and it tells them things. But remember, the lying spirit doesn't mean it's true. So please don't base your life off information a demon-possessed person yelled at one time. I don't know who that's for, but please, whoever you are, please don't do that. Please. There are many voices in this world, none of them have significance. And so this demon yells, I am legion, but we are many. And what is a legion? Legion is 6,000 soldiers at least. This man is possessed by over 6,000 demon spirits. This speaks to the human capacity of a person, but it also tells you how demonized he is. And it all started with a thought. A thought that became a mentality, that became an action, that became a habit, that became influenced by devils to be possessed by devils. Now, I want to tell you, if you're born again, if you're saved, you cannot be possessed by a devil. You can't be. But you can be oppressed and you can be obsessed. You can't be possessed because the Holy Ghost doesn't have roommates. He can't get into your spirit. But you can have mental oppression and mental obsession to where you're so demonized, people don't know you say because of what's going on in your mind. And it starts with not checking those thoughts. That's how this man got caught. Notice he tries to intimidate Jesus a little bit. We're many. Lord, you do something with some of us, but you can't do something with thousands upon thousands upon thousands of us. But Jesus refuses to be intimidated. He refuses to back down. Let's notice what the demon began to do. He began to besought him much, began to beg him that he would not send him away out of the country. One of the things you understand, let's talk about demons just for a quick minute. Demons are territorial. They're like staying in the same area. They like dealing with the same families. 
That's why some things aren't general curses, generational curses, the generational patterns. And we can have a specific individual in a family that lived in a way that was ungodly, and they lived in a pattern, and there's somebody else in the family that lives similarly, and when that person dies, the demons that mess with that person go to the other person because that person has been prepared to be their host. That's how they keep moving through families. And this demon did not want to leave a territory because he has prepared that territory. That, tor- tor- that territory is gripped with fear. He doesn't want to go. And this chief unclean spirit in this territory, in this man, don't make us leave. Something else about unclean spirits. They're great self-promoters. Look through the Gospels. Every time an unclean spirit shows up, he's got a crowd. Oh, he's got a crowd. So don't be surprised when people in the world get a crowd and they're doing immoral things. Unclean spirits are great at gathering crowds. You see it all throughout the Gospels. They're great self-promoters. And this one is a great self-promoter. And you see his personality is one of fear. So the whole region knows who he is, knows his existence, and they are afraid. He doesn't want to leave the territory because of his hard work. He knows now he's got to leave this man. And so he begs permission, well, at least let me go to the pigs. I'll just let you know, once again, it's not a Jewish area because it's 2,000 pigs. And Jews consider pigs unclean. They ain't eating the bacon. But Jesus gives them permission, and these thousands of demons rush into the pigs. Now, remember, there are shepherds near the pigs who have been watching all this the whole time. Come on, they saw the boat come. They saw the man with unclean spirit run at the boat. They watch, oh, wow, let's see what's going to happen. They see the man fall at Jesus' feet, like, oh, that's new. They see this man begin to beg Jesus, like, ooh, this dude, whoever this guy is, I got off the boat, has authority. I'm not sure about the other people on the boat, but this dude got some authority. And then all of a sudden, they see their pigs take off running. And so they do what some of you would do. They took off running. So it's like, if I see someone run, I don't need any questions. I'm just going to follow and ask when they stop. And this is what they did. They took off running toward the city. Now, the people, the shepherds tell the people what happened. And when they come back, notice what the scripture says. Verse 15. And they came to Jesus, and they saw him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. Come on, that is a testimony in these days to be in your right mind. Come on, don't ever take it, take it for granted that you're in your right mind. Thank God that you have a right mind. Not a reprobate mind, but a right mind. And they were afraid. Why were they afraid? This unclean spirit has fallen from his throne of power. He's fallen from his seat. He doesn't have the same control and influence anymore. But why? was the city, that region, afraid still because that spirit had conditioned them and programmed them to fear. You think that once the pandemic is completely under control, people will stop being afraid? No. They've been programmed to fear. That's why I always tell you, fear not. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Fear tolerated is faith contaminated. Don't be afraid of anything. 
I'm not saying you don't take care of cautions and protect yourself and do all the natural things and spiritual things, but you need to make sure you're not afraid of anything. But these people were so afraid, they went to the man who delivered the demoniac and said, please leave. Their fear drove them to push Jesus out. And Jesus is a gentleman, so you know what he did? He left. As he's getting back on the boat, the man who was delivered, this delivered man, runs up to Jesus and he does what any of us would have done. Can I come with you? Come on, please take me with you. Come on, wouldn't you do the same thing? You were just in torment moments ago, but you met this man and your life got exceedingly better. Like that, can I come with you? And it says Jesus wouldn't let him. Now, he probably thought it was available because he got 12 apostles, all these disciples, many different boats. I can fit somewhere. Come on. I can hang on. I can fit somewhere in this crew. And Jesus tells him, no, go home to your friends. That word friends means your crew. It's your family. It's your friends. It's your associates. And you tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and has had compassion. So he gives the man a message to go with his testimony. You see, there's power on your testimony. There's a unique anointing on your testimony. Because when you tell your testimony, the same anointing that was working in your life, when you got experienced that breakthrough or that victory or that salvation or that deliverance or that healing, begins to work in the atmosphere where you're telling that testimony. So this man goes and testifies and preaches what the great things God has done for him and how he had compassion on him. And it said, everybody who heard marveled because they all knew who this dude was. They all knew. They all knew. They couldn't lock him up. They couldn't drug him up. They couldn't contain him. They couldn't fix him. But now he's talking about a man who could do what society couldn't. He's talking about a man who could do what the world couldn't. The world's best days, the world's best efforts could not compare to what this man did. He says, he has done great things for me. He is the Lord. He had compassion on me, and he'll have compassion on you too. He went through the whole region preaching and testifying. So when you get to Mark chapter 7, I'll sum it up for the sake of time. When you look at verse 31 through 37, Jesus comes back to the same region, and the people meet him. Instead of saying, go home, Jesus. It's protest signs, go home, Jesus. That's not like it anymore. They bring to him an impossible situation that they couldn't handle. Because the last impossible situation they couldn't handle. So they got another one. It was a man who couldn't talk, a man who couldn't hear. They brought him to Jesus. Jesus took him away from the crowd and ministered to him and healed him. And now this man can hear. Now this man could speak. And now this crowd, this city that had pushed Jesus away are now proclaiming he does all things well. Because if we stopped at chapter 5, you think, man, yeah, there was a victory over the storm. Yeah, the man got delivered. But man, we didn't get the results we wanted because we still got kicked out. See, he dealt with the source and the circumstances. The people were still programmed and gripped by fear. And how do you do that? He sent someone talking about the love of God. 
Because the scripture tells us that mature, grown-up love evicts or flushes out all fear. Because fear has torment. So this man goes and talks about the greatness of God, the compassion of God, which is love in action. And the grip of fear begins to lose its territory. Although the unclean spirit has fallen, although he doesn't have the same position, the programming of fear was still there. So he goes around and talks about the love of God, the greatness of God. And now they're open for Jesus to do something wonderful and they experience another miracle. See, your testimony is important. See, your testimony, directed by the Spirit of God, can cause people to be delivered. Because what happens they'll begin to think, well, God did it for them. Just maybe he can do it for me. You see, we're living in a world gripped by fear. And people need to hear about the goodness of God. People need to hear about the love of God. People need to hear about what God has done for you. You may say, well, I don't have a big testimony. I've been saved all my life. That is a testimony. He kept you all your life. You might say, well, pastor, I just got saved a couple weeks ago. I was living a hot mess. Guess what? You ain't a hot mess no more. So I don't know any scriptures. You're going to say, he saved me. He can save you too. Well, what else do I do? Bring him to church. See, the thing is, we think we have to have some deep, long, drawn-out testimony like the Apostle Paul. If that ain't your story, please don't try to make it your story. You tell others about the good things God has done for you, even if it's small. You might say, well, it's not that important to someone it is. You just talk about the favor of God, the goodness of God. I was sharing with a person who was coming to do some type of work at my house, and he was talking about how they're looking for their first house. And I told him the story. He was a believer. And I said, yeah, this wasn't on the market when I toured it. But I walked in and said, this is the house, and the next day it was on the market. And I began to tell them a quick 60 seconds. You don't have to preach 50 minutes of your testimony. Quick about the favor of God and how we got into this and all the things that came with it. The things just, just don't make sense. You know what he said? You know what? He can do it for me. What of that? It pushed him to faith. So your testimony can push other people to faith. I remember Minister Kurt, I like to mess with Minister Kurt. Years ago, we had just moved here, and my wife had our 30th birthday celebration, and so we had this international trip we took. And I came back, he says, Pastor, you can tell me. Did that trip cost you X amount of dollars? I said, oh, no, nah, maybe about 20% of that amount. He looked at me, how? I said, the wisdom and the favor of God. There are things that to you are normal, but to other people, it's a testimony. And when you begin to give credit to God, say, yeah, it was his favor. Man, it was his wisdom. It was this. It was that. And you're pointing to Jesus. Other people will begin to put their faith in him. Your testimony is an important part of God's strategy to bring victory to this region. So I don't think your testimony is not important enough. It's too small. It's too big. 
you share of the goodness of God. Come on, you got a deal. Man, that's the goodness of God. Man, I should have paid this, but I paid that. Man, that is the favor of God. Oh, man, this happened, but he healed me. That is the, man, goodness of God. If anybody should talk about the goodness of God, it should be us. See, it doesn't matter the storm you went through. You went through. When your boat should have sunk, you still made it to the other side. And you tell others, if I can make it, you can make it. Come on. If he can do it for me, he can do it for you. So wherever you find yourself in the store today, if it's a windstorm you're in, deal with the source. Use your authority, bind and loose, and then say what he tells you to say to the circumstances and watch the peace that shows up. Some of you are dealing with some things with your kids, and when I looked at that, the, the peace that came, and it reminds me of the scripture in the Old Testament, something I say over my kids, great is the peace of my children. And that's what you hold for for your children. So when my children are grown, you can still say great is the peace of my children. Because I'm not going to stop saying that once my kids are 18. Now, great is the peace of my children. They are taught of the Lord. You stand and say what he tells you to say. You use your authority. You don't quit during the storm. You don't quit because of the pressure. You don't quit because of the anxiety. You don't quit because of the lies. You don't quit because of the pressure. You stand your ground and you hold on to the word of God and you refuse to let it go. And if some demonic power tries to resist you, guess what you do? You resist it. Do not let the devil outlast you. Stand to your feet. Don't let the devil outlast you. You outlast the devil. You have no business running from him. He should be running from you. But you must stand your ground. You must refuse to be intimidated. You must refuse to give in to the pressure. You must refuse to be filled with anxiety. You must cultivate your heart. You must stand your ground and resist to the point where the enemy is tormented by your resistance and he runs. Don't give in. Don't quit. You've come too far to quit now. He's brought you too far to leave you. If he saw you through the storm, why would he leave you alone on the shore? Too many of you have too many testimonies about what God has done in the past. And his best is still yet to come. So it's not over. As long as you're on this planet, it's not over. As long as you're on this planet, it gets better. Why? Because you still experience more of his goodness. So it doesn't matter your age. It doesn't matter your background. It doesn't matter what you've seen before. Your best is yet to come. This is still your year of winning and victory. He still has restoration for you. He still has breakthrough for you. He still has healing for you. He still has deliverance for you. So don't give up. I hear him say, don't give in. 
the other went inside and the greater one lives within. Don't give up. Don't give in. Stand your ground and see the salvation of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.